Anyway, if you don't know me, my name is Pastor Tondarai, and I am the Discipleship Pastor at New Song. It is a pleasure and honor to be able to break bread with you this morning. I am excited and looking forward to what God is going to do in this particular service. I've seen what he's done in the other two, and I'm trusting him to do even greater things within this service. Uh, do me a favor, New Song. Help me welcome everybody that's watching online. Yes. Thank you for joining us. We're in the series by faith, looking at the book of Hebrews, looking at the different characters that we find in Hebrews chapter 11 and seeing their demonstration of faith. I hope I don't find you today feeling a little tired about the subject of faith, but if you are, good news is today is the last one, but just, oh good. So you're not tired. Praise the Lord. I have even better news, though. Our pastors, pastors Josh and Sarah, will be back next weekend. Yes, that's exciting. That's exciting. We'd love to have them back and uh, continue to pray for them. Because, you know, when you come to this point last week of a sabbatical, you've got two things pulling you. One is pulling you to get back to work, and the other is pulling you to stay rested and relaxed. So just continue to pray for them that they find that sweet spot and be able to um, finish strong. Amen? Okay, so like I said, we're in the book of Hebrews, looking at Hebrews chapter 11. And my task today is to look at the demonstration of faith that Jacob expressed as seen through the writer of Hebrews. And why he picked out that particular portion of Jacob's demonstration as his highlight on what faith looks like. And he does this because the reason why he writes the book of Hebrews is because he's trying to get his contemporaries to see the deity and the fullness of Christ and how he has fulfilled the promise and how he is the Messiah that was to come. They're grappling with the decision of moving forward in this understanding or remaining in doing the things of old. And so when he picks all these different characters that we then find in Hebrews chapter 11, he's trying to get them to see how faith was demonstrated, looking not at the things that were, but at the things that were to come. And so that's how he lays the foundation. And with Jacob, particularly what we're going to read, if you can put it up for me, Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 21, uh, the Bible reads, by faith, Jacob... As he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshipped, leaning on the top of his staff. By faith, Jacob, as he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshipped, leaning on the top of his staff. What Jacob had was a faith to complete. A faith to complete. And that is the subject topic I want to talk to you about today. Having faith to complete. Let's pray. Father, I thank you in the name of Jesus that you have gathered us in this manner. Lord, I know that you had seen this day before it was. And so I pray that that the blessing that you had prepared for us ahead of time, we are able to receive it and take a hold of it. And that we can move forward in strength, being strengthened by your word. I thank you and honor you because you are a good God. And I thank you, Father, that uh, you want us to grow and you want us to understand how deep and how wide your love is for us. And as the psalmist says, let my tongue be the pen of an ever-ready writer. I thank you and honor you in Jesus' name. And if you believe that with me, say amen. So what I'm going to do is go through different instances or incidences in Jacob's 
life that I'm going to pick, on, pick from so we can glean and learn something about faith, culminating to the point that the writer of Hebrews ends up highlighting. And hopefully by so doing, we'll be able to see how Jacob in his life demonstrated faith and how he had the faith to complete. So the first incident that we're going to look at is incident number one is about Rebecca. We're going to look at Rebecca. So we're going to go to Genesis chapter 25, reading from verse 21 to 23. Genesis chapter 25, reading from verse 21 to 23. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she wasn't able to have children. And the Lord answered him and his wife Rebekah conceived. But the children struggled together within her. And she said, if it is so, why am I in this condition? So she went to inquire of the Lord and the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb and two peoples will be separated from your body and one people will be stronger than the other and the older will serve the younger. So it is from this word that Rebecca heard that she then took a bent or a liking towards Jacob. If you read further down the text, it will show you that Isaac loved Esau. Esau was a man of the field, a hunter, a man's man. And so Isaac took a liking to him. But Jacob was a man of a flock, herding sheep and goat and staying within the tents or staying within the house. And Rebekah took a liking or loved Jacob. So it would reason, as we see it, that Rebekah was responsible for teaching faith to Jacob. Rebekah was the one who would have told Jacob about the birthright and its importance. Rebekah would have been the one to tell Joseph that I know the Lord has spoken this of you, that you will be greater than your brother. Because she is the one that received the word, telling her how the two boys would grow up and what kind or type of life they would lead. And so she is the one who taught faith. To Jacob, But there is something else that she taught Jacob. If you read again in, in the next chapter, when the blessing was about to be conferred, she schemed. She brought up a plan to have Jacob go in place of Esau in order to get the blessing. Rebekah was the schemer. Rebekah was the planner. Rebekah was the one who had all planted all these things in, Joseph, in Jacob. And because of that, Jacob got two things from his mother. He got faith. But he also got the, the deceiving or the scheming attitude that we find in him. It came from his mother. And this leads us to this understanding. We cannot express our faith outside of our understanding. We cannot express our faith outside of our understanding. Because of the way Jacob was taught about faith and taught about the things of God, he ends up conniving with his mother in order to get the blessing that Isaac was about to confer to Esau. And that's how you see his life being led, where he does believe in the existence of God. He does believe that God is good. He does believe all these things about God, but including with what he believes is an attitude or a, or, or a desire to scheme, to supplant, to swindle somebody. And it's all that he knew. And some of us kind of find ourselves in this circumstance where we learned about faith from somebody, but we picked up something else along the way that tends to be in the way of our faith. Let me put it this way. You had an Uncle Larry. And Uncle Larry loved God. But Uncle Larry was a lazy son of a gun. He taught you faith. And he would tell to you, hey, 
God provides. It's all going to be okay. But he never put his hand to the plow. He just stood there and just waited that God would hand him out things. So your understanding of faith is that to believe God is just to sit there and hope God's going to deliver. So you struggle with the concept of work. Because that's how Uncle Larry taught you about faith. So you go from job to job to job and you just kind of hold it down because of the way it was taught to you. That's why we did that series on emotional, healthy spirituality. Because there's some things that we picked up along the way as we were learning about Jesus that confined us into seeing Jesus or the breakthrough of what God can give in our lives through the lens of those that taught us. And this is where we find Jacob struggling to really break free from what his mother has taught him. You see, we who understand faith must also have this attitude in us that we need to train or teach people that the reason we find success in the things of God is not because of us, but it is because of God in us. I want to quote something where Pastor David, Pastor David Terry, he he mentioned me in a sermon, so I made it a point. I'm going to mention him. I was like, God, make this point work so that I can talk about him. But this is what Pastor David Terry said, right? And I'm in, I'm in the ballpark here. I'm not quoting him verbatim. He said that he wanted his children to grow up knowing that whatever success he had was not because of him, but because of grace. And when we teach the world the things concerning faith, we must be careful to show the world that we are no better or greater than whatever success we are finding and how to live this life is not because of our intelligence, not because Jesus comes and just wires something and all of a sudden we can see. It's because we yield to the Savior and then he demonstrates and shows off himself through our lives. The job is to point people to Jesus and not to our greatness. So that they don't pick up these negative vibes on these things that we ourselves are working through. We must be careful in how we teach. Paul right into Timothy, he tells them that the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart, from a good conscience, and from a sincere faith. That's what we teach. Love from a pure heart and a sincere faith. So it's important for us as we teach our children, as we present ourselves to the world, because we are an epistle that is written on the hearts of men to teach the world about Jesus. That as we do so, we are careful not to put ourselves above the message, but to live underneath it. And we as students, knowing this, we ought to be careful when we learn. Because the people we learn from are people. You met Deacon Peter. A deacon. He said a bombastic word of faith. You heard it and you're like, whoo, that was prophetic. Amazing. Then you got to meet Deacon Peter on a personal level. And you found out, man, the man is struggling with his tongue. He cusses like a sailor. But he gave a bombastic word of faith. And the problem is some of us then run away from Jesus because we cannot know Jesus by ourselves. We want to know Jesus through the people that teach us about Jesus. 
But we've got to have a personal relationship with Jesus. It cannot be the Jesus that my pastor talks about or the Jesus that I learned from my mother or the Jesus that my daddy used to talk to me about when I was on his lap. It has to be the Jesus that is in my life that I talk, to, that I talk about or present to the world. Jacob finds himself in this place where he knows no better. But the seed of faith is planted. And for it to grow, there's only one who gives growth. Paul plants a seed. Apollo waters. But it is who gives the increase. And this is about to happen to Jacob. So this is the second incident. Number two, which is Bethel. Bethel. Genesis chapter 28 Verses 11 to 13. Genesis 28 verses 11 to 13. And it happened upon a particular place that he spent the night there. Because the sun had set and he took one of the stones of the place and made it a support for his head. And lay down in that place. And he had a dream. And behold a ladder was set up on the earth with its top reaching to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. Then, behold, the, Lo the Lord was standing above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your descendants. Do you know where this man is? This man is on a path of fear. He is not going to Laban, which is where his mother is sending him at this point. Because he planned it out and he set out that this is what I want to do. The reason he's on this path is because his mother has told him that because you stole the blessing that was supposed to be Esau's, Esau is wanting to kill you. And also because she didn't want him to marry any of the women that were around. She wanted him to marry a woman from her own people. But she was also saying, run away. Because your brother is going to kill you. So he's on a path of fear. And on this path, he happens upon a certain place. There's nothing spectacular about this place. It's not like it was demarcated and marked that if you stay on this place, the gates of heaven will open. It was just a regular place, any other place. It might as well have been where you are sitting right now. It might as well be when you're driving in your car or when you're at the office at work or when you're in the library, when you're having a conversation with somebody. It could have been anywhere because what we must understand is that God desires to speak to you more than you think about it. And it's got nothing to do with the things that you do. God is not waiting for you to be at a certain level, at a certain place that you have to graduate and go through these different programs and sets. And when you graduate and you're given a white suit, now God speaks. He's going to speak to you regardless of where you find yourself. He says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So he wants to break through wherever you're at. I don't know who I'm talking to who thinks that they're low enough that God cannot speak to them. I'm here to tell you that God speaking to you is not predicated on the things that you do, the place that you find yourself, the history that you're tugging along as you go in life. God desires to speak to you and establishes covenant with you because he is a covenant making God. And so this is where Joseph, Jacob finds himself. He finds himself in a certain place. 
and right there at the gates of heaven and God speaks to him and says, Jacob, I want to establish a covenant with you. Just like I have with Abraham and Isaac. Because he is a God honoring God. He says his word does not return to him void, but it will accomplish that which he set it out to do. So it didn't matter where Jacob was at. He was going to come through for Jacob. Now before you think, man, I love this church. I don't have to do nothing. God's going to break through for me. I love the way they preach this thing. Man, why don't I call up Stephen and say, hey, we're heating up the club next week. It doesn't matter. We're going to live our life the way we want to and God's going to break through. Hold on. That's not how this thing works. Let's see what Jacob does. Genesis chapter 28, verses 16 to 22. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, The Lord is suddenly in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. So Jacob got up early in the morning and took the stone that he had placed as support for his head and set it up as a memorial stone and poured oil on its top. Then he named the place Bethel, but previously the name of the city had been Luz. Jacob also made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will keep me on this journey that I take and give me food to eat and garments to wear and I return to my father's house in safety, then the Lord will be my God. And this stone, which I set up as a memorial stone, will be God's house. And of everything that you give me, I will assuredly give a tenth to you. Jacob responding by entering into a covenant back with God. You are responsible for your response. So when God breaks through and he talks to you, you are responsible for your response. This is an amazing God that we worship and serve. Do you understand that he gets into a covenant with you? And one thing is for sure, he will keep his end of the covenant. But you and me, I don't know. I don't know that will come through. So you know what God does because he understands this? He says... He will come and connect with us and give us the strength to be able to fill, fill our end of the covenant. So he fulfills his end and he walks us through to fulfill our end of the covenant. And that's what he does with Jacob. If you read further on when Jacob has made this vow, later on the Lord comes to him in a dream and tells him that it is time to get up and go back to Bethel. As he has promised here. It was not because Jacob planned it. It's because God came through for Jacob in order for him to keep his end of the bargain. I don't know where you find yourself. But I'm telling you now that God is strong enough to carry you through the murk. God is strong enough to carry you through whatever issue you find yourself in order that he can complete the task that he has in you. He is the author and perfecter of your faith. That's his desire and that's what he wants to do in your life and in my life. How will you respond? See, you got to give him something. He says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. You have to open the door in order for this 
part of the covenant to be fulfilled in you. But if you do not open the door, if you do not place yourself in a position to where you allow yourself to covenant back with God, then how can he use that? He's a gentleman. He is not going to overtake you and decide for you. He's not going to force you into something that you do not desire. You've got to give him something. And then he takes that and he multiplies it, doing immeasurably more than we can ever think, ask, or imagine. That is the God that we serve. And this is where Jacob finds himself, where he is now able to walk this walk after the page has been turned, not because of the faith that was ceded to him by his mother, but because now he has a personal relationship with God. Which leads us to incident number three, which is the wrestling. Incident number three, which is the wrestling. All right, this is the good stuff. This is probably where I'm going to go crazy. All right. <laughs> Genesis chapter 32 verses 24 to 28. Genesis chapter 32 verses 24 to 28. Then Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When the man saw that he had not prevailed against him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip. And the socket of Jacob's hip was dislocated while he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go, for the dawn is breaking. But he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel. For you have contended with God and with men and have prevailed. What is going on here? I mean, I don't know if there was a cold that if you meet a brother at noon, is on. You're going to start wrestling. I don't know if that's what's happening. It's noon. Well, we better get to do this thing because we've met each other at noon. I don't know. But then a wrestling match begins to ensure between Jacob and this man. Now, many theologians and scholars believe that this is what is known as a theophany or a Christophany, which is Christ coming up, uh, being shown in the Old Testament. This is Christ being there before his time. So what is really happening here is that Jacob is beginning to wrestle with Jesus at this particular juncture. And as they begin to wrestle and the daybreak is coming, and then Jacob realizes that this is no ordinary person that I'm wrestling with. And in that moment, he calls on and he says, you have to bless me. You need to bless me. And the next thing that is asked is, what is your name? But I don't know about you, but if I ask for a blessing, I'm thinking I'm about to get a Lamborghini or I'm about to get a Rolls Royce or I'm about to get a new house. And if I'm not married, man, bring me a woman. I'm about to get something here is the thinking that I have. But no, he asks, what is your name? He doesn't throw in some trinkets or some good stuff. He asks, what is your name? Because this is Jesus picturing the moment of redemption. Because what he's about to do is saying, I'm changing your name. Your name shall no longer be Jacob. Because this name represents a weight. A weight of being a schemer. A weight of being a supplanter. But now that you're wrestling with me, I'm going to change your past. And I'm going to give you a new place that you are going to lead. A new life that you are going to lead. This is exactly what Paul talks about when he says, whoever is in Christ, whoever comes to Jesus, he is now a new creation. He declares in his word that the old has 
Oh, 12 people in church. Come on, let's wake up. He says the old has and the new has. And that is exactly what he's doing to Jacob. He's saying, listen, the weight of your past is no longer going to be an issue. I give you a new identity. You and I have been given a new identity the moment we stepped into the glory of Christ. We are no longer seen or regarded, judged because of the things of the past. We have a newness in us. And that is where Jacob finds himself. He's given a bigger or a higher blessing than any property he could ever own. Because there's a change and a transfer that is happening in his life. But then Jesus does something. He touches the socket of Jacob. And Jacob now has to limb because he has got an injury. Because even though you're redeemed of the past, the past often leaves a scar. It often leaves a mark. The problem with you and I is we look at these marks and wellow in the past. But the reason for the mark is to show you that you are no longer who you are. You have a scar because you have a testimony. You have a story that you're going to tell that declares of the goodness and the beauty of God. Because even after the name was changed, God introduces himself to Moses and says, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He doesn't say Israel. And the reason he doesn't because he's saying I am the God of the imperfect. I am the God of those that are imperfect. And Moses is in a place of doubt. And he would have known the story about Jacob. And if you know the story of Jacob, it's riddled with drama. Preposter Romano, Jerry Springer level drama. That's what Jacob has. So he knows, even though there's redemption from your past, you still have the wounds. You still have the limp. But you walk in your new identity because you know this is a mark to tell me I'm no longer who I used to be. Who I used to be hurt me. Who I used to be put me down. Who I used to be did not allow me to see the fullness of what God was doing. Who I used to be left a mark. But I walk in redemption. Paul says forgetting the former things and I press on to what is ahead of me. Because the former things are not pretty. You know what this man is? This man Paul? He was a murderer. You know that right? He was participating in murdering people. God left a mark. He made him blind. And he didn't see for a while. Paul was beaten up. Paul had all sorts of things happen because of the way his past was. But he didn't look at that and dwell on it. He used that to see himself as the newness that Christ had begun in him. You know, Jacob, at this point, there were idols in his family. The Bible says Rachel stole idols from Laban and hid it underneath her saddle. And as Laban is searching for these idols in the tent and everywhere, when she comes to Rachel, Rachel lies and says... She is of the way of women. So that Laban wouldn't search there. Keeping idols and protecting them. But after this battle in Bethel, Jacob goes to his family and says, get rid of all your idols. Get rid of everything because he was now walking into a newness. I wonder 
what idols you keep holding on to that are as a result of your past. Because you've got to give up something in order to appreciate the fullness and the newness of what God is doing in your life. I remember this back before I was saved. I used to collect music. Anybody in here remember Babyface? Oh, yeah. There you go. Jodeci. Oh, come on. Don't hide. You all were listening to Jodeci. Casey and Jojo. I had a collection. I was, I was envied by people around me because I was the collect. I had the latest stuff. And Jesus did a work in me. And I had to give up my music because it was a hindrance for me entering into a place that God was calling me. Now, I ain't saying baby face is wrong because now that I'm married, you know, I got some baby face. <laughs> Whoa! Hallelujah! <laughs> Praise Jesus. Get you in that mood, right? Come on. Amen. Uh, Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? Amen. We all come to a moment of wrestling. And I really need to stay here for a little bit to stress some points because I'm fighting for your freedom so that you can understand that you're called to a greater place. Because there are things that you're facing in your life and you keep rebuking the devil, but it is God who's wrestling with you. This was so evident in my own life. See, I came here in 2005 and I lived in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And somebody said to me, hey, you're going to end up in Oklahoma City. It's like, what? Oklahoma City? I'm sorry, y'all. Tulsa's prettier than Oklahoma City. Just saying. Okay? It's, it's my nose, right? An opinion's like a nose. Everybody has one. My nose sees it. Tulsa's prettier. Don't get me wrong. I love living here. But Tulsa was just pretty. I'd never thought about ever coming to Oklahoma City. I never saw that as a possibility at all. And this person said, yeah, I see. You're going to come to Oklahoma City. I didn't see this person as a prophet. I didn't receive him as anything. I was like, yeah. You're just talking, you know, just how when people say, oh, bless you, they're just talking. So that's how I received it. And then 2010, my car got repossessed. I got evicted. There's nowhere else to go. But I'm on my knees rebuking the devil along the way. Little did I know I'm in a wrestling match with God until a, a lady that was my international students advisor who had started to do ministry said hey I will take you on you, you just come and live with me and today she's my American mom and she took brought her truck put all my stuff it fit in the back of a truck everything that I owned she drove me all the way here and took me in and it was in Edmond you know where I live now? In Oklahoma City. <laughs> but in Oklahoma City, I'm now married. Two kids, one on the way. I have the cars. I have the house. Because the blessing was always here. But because I'm adverse to change, and I'm not easy of hearing, God had to wrestle me. 
God had to wrestle me. God's wrestling with somebody in here. And you're thinking, man, this thing is from the devil. But it is God that's trying to get your attention to say, I am moving you to something new. I'm doing something that I've not done before. Will you not see it? And call it that it blesses you. Everything that you face can bless you. The scripture, God works all things together for good. Some things, only the sins we understand. Those are the ones that he works for good. Only the failures that are acceptable by society, those are the ones that he works for good. All means, thank you. And the Greek word for all is, the Hebrew word for all is, the Shona word for all is, and the English word for all is, all things work together for good to those who love the Lord. So whatever it is you're facing, call it. You, problem, you will work for my good. And this is where Jacob finds himself culminating to the third incident we're going to talk about, which is what the writer of Hebrews is now talking about. But you can see the growth in his life as it pertains to faith. And this is where he then comes and he exudes the faith to complete. We're going to look at incident number four, which is the last days. The last days. We're going to pull up Hebrews 11 and 21 and see what the writer of Hebrews said. The writer writes, by faith, Jacob, as he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshipped, leaning on the top of his staff. Now, the writer of Hebrews begins with the laying on of hands of the children and ends with the leaning, of, uh, on, the, with the leaning on the top of his staff. But when you go to Genesis, the leaning on the top of his staff is written before the laying on and hands of the sons. So we'll begin there. Go to Genesis 47, verses 29 to 31. Genesis chapter 47, verses 29 to 31. And the Bible reads, When the time drew near for Israel to die, he called for his son Joseph and said to him, if I have found favor in your eyes, put your hand under my thigh and promise that you will show me kindness and faithfulness. Do not bury me in Egypt, but when I rest with my fathers, carry me out of Egypt and bury me where they are buried. I will do as you say, he said. Swear to me, he said. Then Joseph swore to him and Israel worshipped as he leaned on the top of his staff. Now listen. I do not care where you bury me when I die. You can say, he's African. We need to take his body to Africa. Sure, I'm dead. That's your problem. <laughs> it's not mine. Oh, but he said he's Oki. We need to bury him in Oklahoma. Whatever. That's your problem. It's got nothing to do with me. We need to offer his body to science so they can study how handsome people gain and lose weight. Whatever. That's your problem, not mine. You do what you feel is best at the time. I don't know where your money is. I don't know what the circumstances. So I don't care when you bury me. 
But he does. And the reason he does is because he is a man that is living on a promise about a land or a city whose builder is God and not man. You see, you and I live in the time of the Holy Spirit. Where no matter where we go, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And he resides and rests on us. In the time of Jacob, the Holy Spirit has not yet come. He has not, he's not, he's not yet is. And so Jacob understands where he is. Even though he is in the land of Egypt where everything is plush and beautiful and he's about to be given this piece of land, he knows that later on Egypt will become the place where his people are going to be subjected to slavery. It will become a place of tormenting. So he says, take me back to the land of promise where my body is going to be in the place that God had promised that it will be my land and it will be my place because he's a patriarch, a father of the faith and he needed to be rested among his people so that they would hear the stories and their faith be built up. That's why he says bury me there. So when the people of in the, in the Hebrew time when they're reading this they're understanding that Jacob knew the importance of ending well because once his promise is given by Joseph he leans on his staff and worship and this is something that we've got to understand that faith is for when we're here on earth but worship is for heaven. You don't need faith when you're now residing in heaven with the Lord. And so he worships. He worships because faith leads to worship. And that's what he was telling these people to understand that Jacob saw it. Jacob understood it and said, place me with, I, with Abraham and Isaac. There you will bury me so that even my bones can continue to teach. Even my bones will continue to have a lesson. They will not teach in the land of Egypt, but they will teach in the land of the promise. Then he laid hands on the sons of Joseph. This is the faith to complete. Genesis chapter 48, verses 17 to 20. Genesis chapter 48, verses 17 to 20. When Joseph saw that his father placed his right hand on Ephraim's head, it displeased him. And he grasped his father's hand to move it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. And Joseph said to his father, not so, my father, for this one is the firstborn. Place your right hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He also will become a people and he also will be great. However... His younger brother shall be greater than he, and his descendants shall become a multitude of nations. So he blessed them that day, saying, by you, Israel will pronounce blessing, saying, may God make you like Ephraim and Manasseh. And so he put Ephraim before Manasseh. See what's happening here. Jacob has lived with the 11 sons. He has been able to place his hand of blessing on any grandchild that is born. But there were two that he did not have an opportunity to lay his hand on. In his mind, Joseph is dead and gone. But then in a moment, he now has the opportunity to complete the task that God gave him. To bless and confer nations out of the children 
that were going to be known by his name. The promise that he found at Bethel. The promise that was laid on Isaac. And the promise that was laid on Abraham. And so when he lays his hands on these grandkids, he is fulfilling the mission and the task. He had the faith to complete. Because at some point, this opportunity seemed dead and gone and buried and was never to be. But now it opens and he takes a hold of it. He had the faith to complete. Man, there's somebody in here who thinks their dream and the goal is dead. And you stop dreaming and thinking or building towards that which God had given you because Joseph is dead. It seems gone. It seems impossible. It seems like it shall never be. But he has said, I am the resurrection and the life. And just like that, he resurrects an opportunity in which Joseph can complete the task in front of him. See, Timothy and uh, Paul understood this, and he writes to Timothy, and he says to Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 5 to 7, he says, But you keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry, for I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. A kept faith results in true worship. Paul is at the same juncture as we find Jacob. Finality. Closure of life. You see, when Jacob talked to Pharaoh, you got to read this. Genesis chapter 25 to 50. A lot of chapters there, but some good stuff. Jacob says to Pharaoh, I am but 137 years. I've lived less years than my father's. I have seen toil and struggle. See, Jacob's life had toil and struggle, but he kept the faith all the way to the end. And this is what the Hebrews are needing to hear, that you will have to keep the faith. So, this was the introduction. Now let's get into the sermon. <laughs> the sermon. How do you position yourself to have faith to complete? How do you position yourself to have faith to complete? Number one, grow up. Turn to your neighbor and say, grow up. I know there's some spouses in here that are wanting this opportunity to tell their significant other to grow up. So I'm giving you a safe, a safe space for you to do it. But careful, when you go home, I won't be there to protect you. <laughs> grow up. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 13 and 14. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unacquainted with the word of righteousness, for he is an infant but solid food is for the mature, who, because of practice, have their senses trained to distinguish between good and evil. 
grow up. If the only message you want to hear and the only message you think you should hear is that God is love and he loves you and that's it and that's all that you want to take, it's time to you know, when I was a kid and I had problems, I'd run to my mother. Not that she would give me advice, but that she would solve it for me. But now, I am a man. If I do that and run to my mother, what would you tell me to do? To? Because growing up means that I have got the ability to respond. Responsibility. You have the ability to respond. If you cannot respond, it means you are an infant and you need to. Okay, I'm just going to have fun with the people that are responding if you're not responding. I still love you anyway. The writer of Hebrews even says that we need to grow to maturity. Move from basic principles of laying on of hands calls that basic and move on to maturity we need to move on from arguing about the doctrinal issues we need to realize that we're being called to a higher thing we need to grow up and be better able to respond to the issues that face our contemporary that face our culture we need to grow up number two as Timothy, as Paul has already told us in 2 Timothy 4 and verse 5, 5 to 7. Number two is keep your head. Say with me. Keep your head. Do you know how many times we lose our heads? Lose our heads. Does fellowship work? Wow. I'm going to talk to you, Pastor Ken. Does fellowship work? Thank you. Okay. Does prayer work? Okay. Does reading your Bible work? But when we run into problems, we drop these habits. Because we lose our... We stop doing the things that work because we lose. The finality of a thing that you've been praying for is not the be-all and end-all of it. The be-all and end-all is when you die. So when you pray and you believe in God for a big thing and then it happens, this is not the time to go, whew, I'm done. <sighs> that was tough, but God is good. <laughs> and then all of a sudden you stop doing the things that have worked for you because you lost your... Let me tell you this. Failure and success are both great teachers. Will you learn? It was Thomas Addison who said, I have learned 10,000 ways not to make a light bulb. You are learning the habits that lead to you not paying rent. You have now learned the habits that lead to you not having good health. All these things that are challenges are just teachers. Teaching you how life is lived. But in order for you to pick it out, learn it, and move forward, you've got to keep your head. Which leads to point number three. Endure hardship. Endure hardship. 
See, in our minds, we think the blessing of the Lord leaves, means that my life is great and grandiose. Everything is cool and hunky-dory. I got my two dogs and my two kids, and we are hiking. and we barbecue on the fourth. <laughs> God is with me. That's it. I go to church on Sunday, dressed up to the nines, and then we go back home. And we go to home, we go to Chili's. And that's it. And the moment you have trouble, oh, God has abandoned me. This thing of faith doesn't work because I'm having trouble. I dare say the life that you lead when you hold the hand of God is riddled with more trouble because this is an opportunity for God to show himself off through your life. You will have to endure hardship because rain falls on the righteous and the unrighteous alike. Somebody right now, you are in a hard place. Somebody's about to get out of one and somebody's about to get into one. Hard times are a guarantee. Question is, how will you respond to the hard times? You've got to endure. You've got to endure. You've got to stay the course. If you walk with Jesus... If you look at his life, he died on a cross, beaten, a throne of crown, a, 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 cro- a, cro- a crown of thorns. I knew I'd find it. See, I stayed the course. I endured the hardship. A, th- <laughs> a crown of thorns placed on his head as he was bleeding. He had to endure the cross. Because of the price that was set before him. We have to endure. We cannot cry about hardships like the world cries about hardships. As though we do not have a savior. Is there a bomb in Gilead? Number four. Fulfill your call. Fulfill your call. I'm here to tell you that your faith is not your own. Your faith is not just there to work for you. There are decisions that you have to make now that will benefit somebody 20 years from now. God is not putting faith in you just so that you can have possession And always walk in healing. God is calling you to fulfill the duties of your ministry. Man, a great picture for me. And and, and, and I'm going to shout you out here, Pastor Ken. I'm not going to look at you because I might blush. But a, 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 a thing that is amazing about Pastor Ken. The man's in a sling. And a cast on his hand. You know what class he was teaching? Healing. That God heals. God heals. While I was holding his arm like so. Probably was in pain. Taking medication. But it's standing there. God heals. Why? Because he has to fulfill the duties of the ministry that he is called to. In spite of what he faces. What is your ministry? 
Faith cannot just be there just to work for you. You've got to move from praying just about yourself to say, God, give me Oklahoma City. I want to see a revival break out in the city. And I want to use my ministry so that this city comes to alive for Jesus Christ. Give me the state of Oklahoma. Let it shine with the brightness of God that any who would come here would know that God lives here. Give me the United States of America. Yeah, I know we've got issues. I know what we face. But there's a ministry on the inside of you. You live now to fix the issues of our society. That's why you exist now. Not just to pray for when you are sick or when you have the sniffles. And not just to pray when you cannot pay the rent. You are here to intercede and stand on behalf of your generation. There's a ministry inside of you and that's why Paul is telling Timothy, man, you have got to endure hardship because if you endure it, you will know that you have been called to be an evangelist, that is to bring the lost to Christ and to administer the duties of your ministry. I'm here this morning to fight for the ministry that is on the inside of you. You have something, a call that is higher than you. You were here to build a kingdom, to show off the glories of a magnificent savior, to declare his praises. The writer of Hebrews later writes on and he says, let everything that is within me bless the Lord. All that is within me bless the Lord. He's not talking about emoting just like I'm doing right now. What I'm doing right now is not necessarily just blessing the Lord because I'm shouting and I'm yelling. He's saying everything in me, the children that are born out of my loins, the houses that are going to come from me, the cars that are going to come, the fellowship that is, the grouping, the businesses, everything that I produce on this earth, let it bless the Lord. Let it bless the Lord. Let everything that I do bless the Lord. Everything that comes from this mind, bless the Lord. Everything that comes from my heart, bless the Lord. That's what he means. You have. If you and I get a hold of our responsibility and hold it tightly. Because in this place are pastors, teachers. They're preachers, they're encouragers, exhorters, business people, politicians, teachers. That are called in this generation to leave a mark. And what you're going to do will bless you, yes. But man... 20, 30 years, 50 years down the road, somebody else is going to be blessed because of the decision you're making today. Just like somebody else was blessed when Jacob made the decisions he made. Years later, here comes Jesus. Because of the decisions that Jacob made. Stand with me. I'm going to ask the altar ministers just to come forward. I told you today my assignment is to contend for ministries. So many of us are clouded by the ways of the world today. Drawn in by cultural norms that amplify the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And the Bible says these come not from the Lord, but from the world. And what God is wanting to do is to move aside these distractions, the sin that so easily entangles so that you can walk into ministry, so that you can administer the gift and the ministry that God has put in your life. 
today, if you would, contend for this ministry and come up to the front. If you know that there's something that God has put on the inside of you and you are doing it not for whatever amazing reasons you have to, to, to today, if you decide can be the day of salvation, harden not your heart that you might be able to walk in your purpose and walk in your call. So I'm fighting for ministers. Bow your heads with me. If you've not received Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, this is where it starts. So I'm going to ask you to come to the front and have somebody pray with you. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. So just come up to the front and tell somebody, hey, I don't know this Jesus, but I would like to so I can finish my call. So I can have the faith to complete. And also, if you're here and because it's a healing issue that's stopping you from moving into the place of your call, come to the front. Let's take care of it so that you can walk in your call. If you're confused, unsure, if you're not walking in the place that you're supposed to be walking in, in terms of ministry, you do great to pray, you do great to read your Bible, but you're not in a place where you are administering the ministry that builds the kingdom of God. Come to the front. Father, I thank you. It is no accident that we find ourselves here and listening to this word because somebody's page has to turn this morning. That they, like Jacob, can see that an, a window is, up, is opening where things seemed to be dead. They now become alive so we can walk right in. Bless this ministry, God. Bless this call. Bless it tonight, this morning. That, Father, we can walk in your truth. In Jesus' name.